Who wants a Georgia State Panthers job? It's Locked On Sunbelt. You are Locked On Sunbelt, your daily podcast on the Sunbelt Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to another edition of Lockdown Sunbelt, your team every day. I'm your host, Dave Schultz. Today's episode brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers, join today and you'll get $150 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash Lockdown to get started. All right, special guest on today's show, Ben Moore from GSU Panther Talk and uh, 24-7 Sports. We go over... There's a coaching search for Georgia State uh, now entering its sixth day. Uh, so tomorrow will make a week since uh, Sean Elliott uh, has decided to, uh, or it'll be a week uh, for the coaching search since I, I think it was like last Thursday that uh, he uh, he announced that he was going to South Carolina. Uh, we do a little bit of background first with... Uh, with Ben, the state of Georgia State football, the G5 finances, because apparently as a tight end coach, well, you'll find out how much uh, Sean Elliott is making as the tight end coach, the GSU candidates who wants the gig, and uh, apparently plenty do. And we can't uh, let Ben go without talking him, uh, talking to him about the legendary Lefty Drizel who passed away this past weekend. Uh, let's get to it. He is the publisher of uh, GSU Panthers Talk. He is on uh, 24-7 Sports. He is Ben Moore on Locked On Sunbelt. Dave Schultz back with another edition of Locked On Sunbelt, your team every day. Uh, they did a switcheroo on me. I thought I was getting Brady Weiler from GSU Panther Talk. I'm getting the publisher. So apparently we've moved up in the world. We get Ben Moore from ben, uh, from 24-7 Sports. Ben, thanks for hopping on. So, you know, slow news uh, week last week on with... Uh, uh, Georgia State. Before we get into the coaching uh, whole rigmarole, which we are now on actually day six of the coaching search, uh, give us a state and pun completely intended of Georgia State football because they were off to this great start last year, six and one, had a huge, you know, game saving interception in the end zone against the Cajuns. And then they didn't win another ball game until the bowl game, which I thought was still really impressive. They played really well out there going three quarters across the uh, three quarters away across the country. Uh, so we'll just forget, we'll just ignore for right now that they are searching for a head coach. Okay. And they need a quarterback. So what was the state uh, of Georgia state football? Because, you know, the East and the Sunbelt still has divisions is really hard. App state, JMU, Marshall and, and coastal, right? Those teams have been up there and, and once in a while, Georgia Southern decides to play uh, good football. What, um, and ODU was surprising this year. What is the state of Georgia State football? Yeah, I think I think it's, you, you nailed it. Um, you know, coming off of 22 where you had, uh, you know, eight losses, right? Four, four and eight, just an absolute disaster of a season. But uh, if you kind of zoom in even a little further, uh, six of the eight losses in 2022, uh, the Panthers had a lead in the second half, including games against South Carolina on the road uh, in week one, including, uh, you know, week, you know, week two against North Carolina at home. Uh, the Panthers were up 28-21 late in the third quarter going into the fourth quarter against Drake May, who most assume is going to be a top five pick here this April. Moving forward to 2023, expectations were really high. You had a ton uh, of the roster back, including Darren Granger, uh, offensive line, defensive line, 
Um, even though some some guys and key guys were taken from the portal, you know, Sean Elliott went shopping. You know, he went 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 to the portal for hard for the really the first time in his career, going and get getting 15, 16 guys who who were going to play. Uh, as you mentioned, sprint out to the six and one start. One of the transfers that I mentioned, Tyje Leach and Gavin Pringle, both impact guys in in in, uh, in Cajun land down there. Um, and, and then the schedule got ridiculously harder let's be let's be candid okay here. all right um, fair yeah, enough i mean that's that's where where it kind of starts and ends i mean you're not playing charlotte you're not playing connecticut uh you're, you're now playing app state who georgia state never beats uh james right. madison who you know rocked a lot of people Nobody in the world right. yeah right. and and then you you honestly had just an absolute embarrassment of a first half on national tv against georgia southern and georgia southern was ready for that game georgia state right. wasn't uh, the game was basically over at halftime, you know, short of the statistical uh, analysis. But, you know, all all the credit in the world to Sean Elliott and his staff because they took the month of December, could have pouted because, uh, let's see, they lost Marcus Carroll to Missouri in December. They lost their right tackle, Montavious Cunningham, to Virginia Tech. They lost their left tackle as he prepared for the draft. John Trey Hunter, who they're starting linebacker. He did the same and says, "Nope, I'm not going out to going out to uh, Boise to go go play against Utah State. I'm going to prepare." And and he's and that was a right decision for him if you look back and, and see what he's done so far in the Senior Bowl and got an invite to the combine. But then they go out there and just absolutely thump Utah State and Blake Anderson, and you know it set the program up for some momentum. You know, kind of going in and and really brought a lot of guys back. Uh, had reached into the portal again, grabbing some guys that were Power Five guys from the metro Atlanta area and from Georgia as a whole who played some at their respective schools like Martrez Thrower at Kentucky or Joshua Black at Louisville, Zach Gibson at Georgia Tech, guys that were from Georgia to come home and play their final uh, few years here. And and uh, even after losing Marcus Carroll, reaching out to Clemson and going to get Dom Thomas, going just going to get Coastal C.J. Beasley, you know, guy that has been productive in the Sun Belt. So they had reloaded in a major way and, and – uh, they, they were looking to kind of attack this 2024 schedule pretty hard. Um, and then the news comes last Thursday. Uh, it hit my phone about 545 in the morning. That, oh, goodness. <laughs> so about, so about uh, there basically was a text message saying that, you know, the third day of practice was going to be canceled and that there was going to be a team meeting at 830. And and I was going, all right, well, that's that's kind of interesting. So what happened? What's going on? Maybe all right, so my, this, set, is, this would be tone. my first thought that yeah. something – Something health-wise happened to one of the players. That would have been my first thought. 100%. Okay. So, something happened. Something was going on. Something needed to be paused. Something. I mean, you know, if this was three and a half years ago, we would have said, okay. Um, it was fascinating to me to kind of see what happened next. So, you know, Coach Elliott, Charlie Cobb, you know, they addressed the team from what I understand, uh, let them know basically Sean was leaving. And then Sean was gone. And obviously the news hit nationally. Uh, he was the, you know, fourth or fifth uh, sitting coach in this offseason cycle to leave his post to go to another job. And, uh, you know, even in the Sun Belt, you know, Kane Womack goes and takes the job at, at Alabama right. to be in D.C. The Buffalo head coach resigns to take a position. You know, Jeff Halfley up at Boston College leaves to take an NFL coordinator job. Um, you know, then you have Chip Kelly who drops down and takes the O.C. job at Ohio State. Um, but this one, I will say, even more had extenuating circumstances simply because Sean's family was still remaining in Columbia. And that was very public. That was not a secret. Um, they came over for games and he would spend as much time as he could over there. And even this past year, the Columbia newspapers had reported that he basically hadn't missed one of his son's Friday night football games as a, as a mm -hmm. first year player uh, for the varsity program there in AC Flora. So that, 
was kind of wide open for you know for me and, and, and opened my eyes. I mean, he he very openly skipped a a open practice for the fans and students that they had set up in August uh, to go see his son play a varsity football game. And um, you know, I arrived about an hour and a half before that practice and looked around and was like, I don't see Sean Elliott here at all. Like, where where is he? And sent a couple texts. Well, he's tough to miss. Yeah, he's Ma- tough to Max miss. is playing. Yeah, yeah Max is yeah. gone. Um, so it, it's it's very interesting to see you know kind of how this this has progressed and 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 built. Uh, but uh, this wasn't a shock. I've said that multiple times okay. to people. This was not a surprise uh, for folks close to the program. This was a possibility, and he was only going back to Columbia. Now he even said in the press release, "Hey, look, he understands that this was a family decision and a personal decision, and most likely hurts him professionally. Right? You take multiple steps back, he probably is not going to be a head coach again." All right, let's take a time out. When we come back, we'll talk to Ben more about the finances and the challenges that G5 schools like Georgia State are facing. And then uh, he talks about the, some of the uh, more potential candidates, generally speaking, before we get into specifics. Uh, we'll do that right after I tell you a little bit about FanDuel. Get your buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all of your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live, same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. All right, Dave Schultz, Locked On Sunbelt, your team every day. Let's get back to our conversation with the publisher of GSU Panther Talk, Ben Moore, on the challenges that the athletic departments are dealing with financially and why Georgia State will not be promoting from within for their new, for the head coaching position. All right, so yes, it was a special case for uh, Sean Elliott to go to uh, Carolina, just like it was for Kane Womack. I don't think if Mike Norvell takes the Alabama job, he's leaving. Except, and and Chip Kelly was a strange case, right? To go from Power 5 head coach to Power 5 coordinator, that's kind of an odd move as well. Uh, but for the Buffalo coach and Kane Womack, you know, those may be better opportunities to get head coaching jobs. And I use this, and it's maybe throwing shade to him, but Jeff Levy from Mississippi State had zero, nada, none, never was a head coach. And he got the Power 5 gig, and Kane Womack, despite probably, well, maybe because of, he had a, a not as good a season as, as he was supposed to. I don't think he was in the mix of Mississippi State. So he sees that and is like, well, going from a D.C. at Alabama is a better chance of me getting a Power 5 head coaching job. Uh, and at the same time, maybe we're at that point because the discussion is the NIL and, and the portal. It's really tough to, you know, build a program. It's tough to have a kid, a quarterback, for example, sit for two years you know, the Mac Jones experiment isn't going to work too much anymore where you sit for two, you first, you're going to mature physically, right? And then you're going to learn the playbook. And then, you know, when you're a redshirt sophomore, you're going to come in. That's not the way it is anymore. And so maybe Sean Elliott is like, all right, I can still go make, I don't know, five, you know, I don't know what he's making, 300, 400. 800K. Yep. 800K at, okay. total count. Yep. As, as the head coach or as the tight ends coach? Probably both because they made okay, him a run so game coordinator as well. So they added added run game coordinator to his his side of things. I mean, and this is the funny part about this. Ultimately, yes, it was the head coach, so certainly that grabs the headlines. But it's the third consecutive spring practice the Panthers have lost a significant piece of their coaching staff. Last year, they lost Nathan, wow. Nathan Fuquay to Cincinnati. 
right in the middle of, of, of that. He went to go be a linebackers coach, doubled his salary, um, got a two-year guaranteed deal. The week, year before that, Josh Brad Glenn goes to Virginia Tech after the bowl game. Josh Depp is elevated. He goes to Louisville. So, And to go be the tight ends coach up there, again, doubling his salary. I think this just more illustrates the disparity between the group of five financials oh, yeah. and the yes. power five position coaches because you can add a run game coordinator or this and that and the other associate head coach or however you want to linguistically play with it and add things to sprinkle in more money. And I, I truly don't think, you know, and I wrote about this on Friday, you know, ultimately, you know, Sean had made over $4 million as the Georgia state head coach. So uh, I'm not in his financial, I'm not his financial advisor, but if he invested that well, uh, also, you know, it's a better quality of life, right? Happy wife, happy life, uh, being able to see your wife and kids every day. And let's just be brutally honest, a tight ends coach has a heck of a lot more responsibilities than a head coach does. You're not standing in front of the media every week. You're not being responsible week in and week out for fans and Twitter and social media. And like you mentioned, NIL and portal stuff. And, and uh, I mean, 11 players from Georgia state, uh, their best players, impact players, the last two off seasons had been grabbed by power five teams that wore on him a lot. And uh, it's hard to be a group of five coach right now yeah. because you recruit these players, sign them, develop them only to see them exit when they hit their prime. Yeah, so that was that came down the last uh, week or so. You know, the SEC getting $51.2 million per school, uh, and that covers the entire coaching staff. Alabama paid like $37.5 million. Mississippi State was like $23 million. And we're not just talking about the football team. We're talking about all of the coaching staff. So basketball, exactly. baseball, softball, uh, whatever sports you may have. And it turns out the largest uh, budget or revenue in the entire Sun Belt is, oh, let me wait for it, Georgia State at $46 million. So that's their entire revenue, whereas the SEC is handing out $51 million. They don't have to sell a ticket. They don't have to sell a sponsorship. Exactly. They don't have to sell a cap or a beer before, uh, you know, to pay for their coaches. And still somehow some of these SEC teams are losing money. I don't know. <laughs> that's feasible. Yeah, um, I think that's fuzz math, Dave. I think you know, I, I'd, I'd really. Right. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not an auditor, but I would certainly love to see those books at some point. Yeah. All right. We're talking with Ben Moore, twenty four seven Sports GSU Panther Talk. All right. So my initial thought, because of the timing, and I may or may not have been crushed by certain GSU Panther Talk hosts. Uh, <laughs> I got double teamed. Um, that uh, you would think that the easy way to go would be to promote from within apparently some don't believe that to be the case why before we talk about the candidates why wouldn't that be the case as spring practice so, as you mentioned had already gotten yeah, underway it did and they were paused you know and they went back to winter workouts and 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 uh in kind of a interesting move uh just for the time being the strength and conditioning coach mike siriano they uh, affectionately known as iron mike uh within uh right. the the, uh, the panthers facility there um getting the guys back out making sure they're going to class making sure they're participating in workouts getting their responsibilities done as the coaching staff progresses but i think more than anything else not elevating an interim even in name tells you a lot about the administration and their thought process on the existing staff as well. I mean, I, I don't believe there's an existing staff member that that would be a, a candidate for mm -hmm. this job. Um, I think that was a clear message ultimately from the administration. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and honestly, there's a lot of young coaches. I mean, Sean Elliott, when they when the team went, you know, won eight games three years ago, 
Uh, he may have thought that was going to be his opportunity for a power five job. Instead, uh-huh. five of his assistants got plucked and taken and they moved on to a variety of different places. I mentioned a little earlier, Virginia tech and Louisville and Cincinnati and places like that. So I think that's the difficult part about it as well is when you went young and hungry and going and getting guys that are, you know, young in the business, you just look around and, and, um, you don't have a lot of options. You know, Trent McKnight was a wide receivers coach and then elevated to OC. Uh, you have, you know, Chad Staggs, who, of course, was on the Coastal Carolina staff, and it was his first year last year. He's a relatively young assistant in terms of experience at the FBS level as well. So I, I think that kind of pushed that to the side immediately, and I think that really just swings the door open to say, hey, look, we can go identify some candidates. Uh, we know we'll be approached by candidates from a lot of different levels and, and really just do a really thorough search. And and, and I expect things candidly to, to pick up pretty quickly. I, I, from what I understand, interviews already have started today, uh, this morning, and uh, we'll continue through Tuesday. And, and I expect some news by the end of the week. All right. So this is where it gets tough uh, for both entities. And always when a head coach gets fired, You feel bad for them, but they're always usually got a seven-figure payout, right? So they're going to be okay. It's the assistant coaches that, you know, are making, you know, know, low six figures, but it's nowhere near the kind of money that head coaches are. And so now what what are we doing with the the current, you know, Georgia State uh, staff? I presume that the new coach is going to try to bring in his own guys. He may keep some of the guys, but all of these guys got to be in limbo. And I've got to believe that some of them may not wait to find out who the new uh, Georgia State head coaches. Yeah, the stress stress level has to be pretty high, right? You know, it's yeah. it's almost like a it's almost like a, a a company buyout. If anybody's been in a in a company that has you know a, a, a you know another company come in there in a merger or or you know somebody buy your buy your business. Um, you don't know what's going to happen, especially the higher you get up the food chain. So um, I know there's a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. You do have two Georgia State alums on this staff and co- former quarterback Dan Ellington. You have former quarter, uh, cornerback, defensive back Antrell Allen, um, who's on the staff as well. Uh, I'm sure they would like to know whether they're going to stay or they're going to go. Um, if I had a guess, I think there's probably going to be a mixture of coaches that stay and go just based on the actual calendar timing of this. Um, because who else is going to be able to provide you some feedback and some you know, quality scouting on your own roster, right? You have 80 right. some scholarships right now that are accounted for. There's not a tremendous amount of room. Now, with that being said, we also know the transfer portal will remain open basically. Well, this, you know, this, this coaching time frame. So you got, you know, 24, 25 ish days, and then it swings open again after, after spring semester in April for two weeks. So that's another opportunity to go and either push players out, uh, which we know certainly does happen. It's the kind of the dirty side of the business but then be able to grab and assess needs and go out and, and find those extra extra players that maybe jettison you know from their own roster uh, or just looking to come back home, as I mentioned a little earlier. All right, one more time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up our conversation with the publisher of GSU Panther Talk and 24-7 Sports, Ben Moore. We'll talk about specifically who are some of the candidates that he think may be up for the job. And, of course, we can't let Ben get away without talking about the legendary Lefty Drizel. We'll do that right after I tell you about LinkedIn. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. 
LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. 2.5 small businesses are using LinkedIn right now for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Dave Schultz, Lockdown Sunbelt, your team every day. Let's wrap things up with the publisher of GSU Panther Talk, Ben Moore. He discusses the potential candidates for the head coaching job and pays homage uh, to uh, his former head coach, Lefty Drizel. Talking to Ben Moore, uh, 24-7 sports on Lockdown Sunbelt, your team uh, every day. All right, so let's get to it. Who are some of the potential candidates for the Georgia State Panthers head coaching job? Yeah, I, um, not not to burn any sources specifically, but I have talked to uh, several folks um, in the last 48 hours. Uh, they have uh, had, had multiple Power 5 coordinators are very interested in this position, several FCS head coaches, which uh, from what I understand, there's some folks on the Georgia State administration side of things um, that were intrigued and interested in talking to some successful FCS head coaches. Now, now keep in mind, Dave, you started this program, you've only had three head coaches in 15 years. So ultimately you had Bill Curry, who was a legend, uh, coached obviously at Alabama and Kentucky and Georgia Tech here locally and a Georgia Tech graduate and Atlanta staple, Trent Miles, he was a guy in a builder, right? He, he literally, you know, the Indiana State program, they were ready to UAB it. They were ready to, to, to get rid of it completely. He stepped in there and took them to the playoffs in three years and kind of elevated them back up. And uh, what's funny is he's back in the state of Indiana now working for Notre Dame. Sean Elliott has really kind of taken that, taken that next step. Um, and then this team was a bowl team, right? Five times, right? you know, in his yeah. seven years. And they, they, you know, averaged, I think, 5.8 wins a year. So basically, hey, they were competitive. Um, the, the biggest thing I will say now is it's a lot more attractive today than it was when he took the job in December 2016. Um, and, I mean, you have a stadium, you have facilities, you have meeting rooms, uh, and you have, honestly, a university that will support football at, from the standpoint of resource allocation because um, that has been a question in the search. There, they have been multiple Power 5 assistant coaches that I know for a fact SEC, ACC coaches who are interested and want in on this job. Ultimately, they have questions too, right? They want to see what's next. Is there an indoor practice facility that's going to be on on the uh, on the agenda? As the no, there's several uh, that that have been constructed within the Sun Belt. Because if you want to compete in the Sun Belt East or for a Sun Belt title in general, you got to keep up with the Joneses even in this league. So you know, knowing that specifically in the state of Georgia, the student fee percentage is not going to increase. That used to be the ride. That used to be, and and James Madison's doing a heck of a job doing it right now. I, I laugh every single time when there when someone like, oh, well, James Madison has the highest budget and this and that and the other. And I said, yeah, they have the highest Divi Division One student fee percentage. Number one, as soon right. as they jump FBS, yeah, they have a near 58, I think, and a half million dollar budget. They're going to be able to afford certain things that other schools cannot. With that being said, Georgia State has a tremendous advantage. You have a fertile recruiting area in Metro Atlanta. Yeah. Just in our system alone, there's a hundred three-star prospects annually from the state of Georgia. So, you don't need them all. You go sign 18 to 20. And just to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit, 24-7, we rank three-star guys are basically impact starters at group of five or contributors 
guys that will play at the power five level. That's the expectation. So you're talking about, yes, this is some of the better high school prospects out there. You go and look at former three-star guys in the NFL, and they far outnumber four-star and five-star guys. So mm. Sunbelt programs, to be successful, have to go and hit those three-star guys, keep them home, or if they do leave and jump, go bigger, go grab them on the bounce back, right? We saw Ron Hunter a few years ago and his you know tournament runs, multiple tournament runs, going and grabbing big-name guys who went to Virginia Tech out of high school or Kentucky out of high school, bring them back and finish their career at home. There is a formula here. The question that I've talked to from a lot of candidates and folks that are close to candidates say, there's an expectation of winning there now. Um, I've seen a lot of names, you know, kind of thrown up against the wall. I mean, you have a lot of people that are interested in this job just simply because of the financial ramifications. It's going to pay eight hundred, eight hundred fifty thousand dollars annually. Sure. If you're if you're an FCS coach, you're probably making three hundred, three fifty, three seventy five. That's a Maybe. significant jump, right? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, go go ask Bob Chesney, you know, over there at, at uh, from Holy Cross to JMU. His world got a heck of a lot easier and his life got a heck of a lot better, both on and off the field. So there, there's a lot of candidates that are interested in this position. And, and now I, I give Charlie Cobb a ton of credit. Um, a lot of folks have been down on him. He's balanced the Georgia State budget and he's made tremendous hires because his hires have been hired away. And that tells you tells you a lot about his hiring power here in the Sun Belt. All right. So my sources, if you will, uh, were telling me that Bob Chesney was about to get the Syracuse job, but someone in Syracuse or the money people didn't want the FCS head coach, despite more than a decade of head coaching experience and a really good head coach. Uh, they went, they didn't even get a coordinator, right? They went and got a really good recruiter in Fran Brown, but he's never even been a defensive coordinator, defensive backs coach. All right. So far he's doing pretty good. We haven't seen what's yeah. going to happen on the field. Having said that, where, where, where do you prefer? Do you prefer yeah. the position coach or a coordinator from a power five a team? Or do you don't mind the FCS a head coach that already has a method to his madness, uh, if if you will? Yeah, I, I think I think there's there's valids on either side. You know, I, I think ultimately you need somebody that has recruited Georgia and is comfortable recruiting Georgia. I think that's the biggest thing ultimately. You know, Sean Elliott and his staff really struggled to sign Metro Atlanta t talent out of high school. Um, they had to go into South Alabama or, or to go to Alabama, excuse me, go into Tennessee, go into you know South Carolina, his home state, um, and a lot of those players did hit. And some of the like Darren Granger and Sam Pinckney and guys like that. A lot of them didn't, and and there's names that really only Georgia State fans are going to know and recognize because they never saw the field or never had consistent time. Uh, there's just way too much talent in the state of Georgia. You know, I, I'm out every Friday night at a, at a Metro Atlanta high school uh, talking to coaches, and and some just just didn't see Georgia State staff a lot, and and only communicated them. You know, mm -hmm. only once during spring practice or once during fall practice. That there's a certain perception right, wrong, or indifferent, that Sean basically didn't want to recruit kids that were from here. So that's priority number one, stepping right yeah. in here and saying, hey, we're going to keep Georgia kids home. We're not going to go and beat kids at Georgia or even Georgia Tech potentially, who is the Panthers, oh, by the way, week one opponent. But right. ultimately trying to go and say, look, we got to beat off Georgia Southern, who, oh, by the way, lost their offensive coordinator today to Alabama. That's right. And may have an opportunity where Clay Helton is on very unsteady ground down in Statesboro today. So going and saying, look, we need to find someone that can recruit and develop and keep people here. Now, I'm with you from an FCS head coach side of things. Having a successful head coach, you know, you know as well as I do from the college football world, 
there's certain FCS programs and they're probably enough to count on your hands and your feet that have a, a lot of resources. Everyone else is, it's, you know, string and duct tape trying to right. really make things happen. So That's right. programs that are really, and coaches that are understanding the resource limitations uh, really can take advantage of that and have an opportunity here and, you know, build out a recruiting staff. I mean, there's many FCS programs that don't have a recruiting staff. They use graduate assistance and having folks basically that tap the line that mm -hmm. way to, to go and find out and, and be, you know, even positions like high school liaisons, you know, going and ha having, having people to have official visits and things like that. Um, I, I think that changes a lot in this case. Um, I would prefer a guy, and this is, you know, I've, I've been kind of public with it as well. Uh, a guy like Brian McClendon, uh, he's the, he was the wide receivers coach and, and um, run our uh, pass game coordinator for the University of Georgia and Kirby Smart. The last three stops he made were Oregon. He was at Georgia for back-to-back -back national titles. And uh, he, he was at South Carolina calling plays with Muschamp before that. Ultimately, he's seen some success. He's seen how Sabanites do it. Um, and I, I have long maintained over the last time that people that come from the Nick Saban tree can grab habits, can grab templates and really build out on that and say, look, this is what they do at Alabama. This is what they do at Georgia to be successful. Let's translate it down to the Georgia State level, the Sun Belt level, and build that out. No, we're not going to have 16 member recruiting staffs. But hey, you two people over here, this is what I need you guys to do. Hey, coaches, this is what I need you to do. This is the standard we're going to build out. Uh, Brian was a finalist for this job when Sean Elliott got it back in 2016. And as oh. I mentioned, he's, he's bounced around. Um, there's guys like Del McGee, who, oh, by the way, his son Austin signed with the Panthers back in December. And he's arriving in June. Talked to Austin yesterday. Um, Del McGee is a candidate for this job as well. Uh, he's on the University of Georgia staff. You had, you've had names like Brian Bohannon, who has wild success at Kennesaw State, that has been rumored out there. Um, I'm not sure how valid that is, especially with the triple option. Just doesn't. It's not getting a sure. whole lot of traction in FBS football right, right now right. outside the academies, but uh, or maybe down in South, at Georgia Southern. I don't know. Maybe maybe they get rid of Helton and call Bohannon. But I think there's a lot of candidates that are interested. There is inherent risk, though, as you mentioned with Fran Brown. First-time head coaches, look, man, you're the CEO. It's your show. You set everything from practice times to where we eat and what we eat and travel and everything that way. There's some folks that can handle it some folks that can't. All right, let's wrap things up with Ben Moore, 24-7 Sports GSU Panther Talk. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. Uh, the legendary Lefty Drizel uh, passes away. A lot of people know him at Maryland, obviously spent time at, at Georgia State. Uh, your thoughts uh, on the legend um, and, his, and his time with the Panthers. Yeah, he, he was uh, in large part for the reason that I came to Georgia State. Uh, I was a walk-on basketball player under Lefty Giselle. Uh, I say failed walk-on uh, multiple times, uh, try, tried to walk on, try to see the court. Uh, he only signed three high school players in his time, uh, five-plus years at Georgia State. Uh, just, you know, again, he, he was old. He didn't want to wait on high school guys, right? So he went to junior college and, and uh, you know, Division One All-Americans and, and guys like that and transferred. And he and we talked about it a little bit earlier with what the profile entails for the Georgia State football coach. He went and got some of the better players in Metro Atlanta that either left, the, you know, program because of not playing or, you know, family reasons and different things like that and uh, took them to a 29-5 and five season my sophomore year. Uh, mm -hmm. It made my college experience quite candidly and talking to folks then and now and really since uh, coaches passed away on Saturday, uh, it's not hyperbole to say that if Lefty doesn't have the success at Georgia State and really wakes up the athletic department, 
football doesn't exist. It just doesn't. The, the president and everyone else was fully against football. And we, we, there was an article in the Atlanta Business Chronicle that did, literally called it the F word. They, they refused to, to mention football in athletic meetings and athletic board meetings. The president wouldn't tolerate it. So shortly thereafter, a club football team, which I was fortunate to be a part of from the marketing and media side of things, started in 2001 after Lefty took the Panthers to the NCAA tournament, winning 29 games, beating Georgia, and going and beating Wisconsin in the uh, NCAA tournament, eventually losing to Maryland. But it it lit the fuse. And from that point, the president and administration and even students kind of woke up to the fact of, hey, we can get serious about athletics. And that was really the biggest, the first step with Georgia State becoming serious about athletics was hiring Charles Lefty after he was let go of James Madison. And, you know, he, he's an incalculable loss to college basketball, to certainly Georgia State. And to me personally, uh, he was fantastic to me and my family. Um, you know, when I just became a student and got to see him coach and, you know, coach against legendary coaches like John Thompson in the Georgia Dome or Jerry Tarkanian in the sports arena, where I, I laugh, Fresno State and Jerry Tarkanian came into the Georgia State Sports Arena in front of about 612 fans, literally. Oh. And there were people, there were people in the third deck doing their they're in their homework. And and my dad and I were sitting there and I'm going, Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame coach. Like this is insanity. But he did things and he woke Georgia State up in a way to teach them how to do it. When they made the NCAA tournament, the administration had no clue. He he went to the administration. I heard a story yesterday. He, he went and told the president of the school and said, what are you going to do for the students that aren't making the trip out to Boise? And they, he said, well, I don't know. What do we need to do? He said, pull every single TV in every single common area and turn our game on. And they did. And you had news coverage. And for literally a week, the city of Atlanta was on fire because Lefty Drizel and the Panthers had won an NCAA game. We, they, they had success that they had never seen before, and it was incredible. I, I think the number was six NCAA tournament teams that he beat that year, and if not for an elbow jumper missed by my great friend Lamont McIntosh the following year, they'd have gone back-to-back. They'd have gone back-to-back NCAA tournament teams, so they ended up going to the NIT that year, and then he got up uh, – you know, got up basically in December and, and uh, you know, his body was hurting and he retired. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy for coach. Um, you know, his coaching tree is incredible as well as grandsons. Uh, both are coaches now as well. Michael Moynihan just uh, I think he was at McNeese State last year and Pat Moynihan as well. Um, you know, I, I had a chance to reach out to both of them yesterday and they're just happy that, uh, you know, their, their grandfather is with their grandmother, uh, you know, now. And uh, but now Lefty was it was an incredible person. Uh, he was super kind to me personally, David, and, and uh, we will miss him at Georgia State. And I thank God he was elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame. I think that was the biggest thing. I, I was glad to do that while he was in good health and, and obviously his son being able to, to you know, to get there. And, and I, I encourage anybody that listens to this podcast, pull up his speech and, and just, you know, if you're a basketball fan or just a sports fan in general, pull, pull it up on YouTube at some point today or, or, or this week and, and just you know, learn a little bit more about Charles Lefty Giselle and, and uh, just his impact on the game of college basketball. Well, yeah, because let's say you gave George Raveling the credit for Midnight Madness because he was not smart enough. He said uh, Coach K had to listen at Army because if you don't listen, you die, right? And he said, I stopped playing John Thompson because he turned Georgetown into Georgetown. So he was – and that was just the only part that I saw. I have no idea why you threw your buddy McIntosh under the bus, but that was a good job by you. You're going to have to deal with that. Uh, when he when he finds yeah. out that you did oh yeah uh, listen he and I talked about that and I told him I said he could take one more dribble he could have he could have jumped from the from the lane and get a layup instead he, he wanted the elbow <laughs> jumper so yeah we've dissected that play probably eighty times uh, you know in the twenty some years we've been friends so it's all good.
He's Ben Moore, 24-7 Sports, GSU Panther Talk. Really appreciate you coming on. Best of luck with the coaching search. We'll see where it lands. We are on day six. Uh, thanks for hopping on Lockdown Sunbelt, your team every day. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate you, man.